today we're continuing our series, um, When a Child Asks, and today we're going to be discussing the question, again, questions that you all submitted, which we were so grateful for. Why are some people different religions? And uh, Pastor Omer and Sidi are going to be sharing um, the bulk of the response to this question because they have, well, first of all, they're just amazing people. Second of all, they have amazing stories. Uh, and third, they just love all of you and this community. Uh, we're going to be uh, sharing some prepared questions and some remarks that we have. But we will also be taking questions live via the YouTube comments, as I mentioned at the introduction. So uh, all three of us can be uh, are able to see your comments. So we'll, we would love to interact with you throughout our time that we have together. And then we'll, of course, save some time towards the end as well to get some to more specific questions. But also because... Just a reminder, we know that there's not always time to get to everything we want to get to. There is still the Wednesday night small group, and we'll remind you that at the end of the service to sign up for that. So um, let's start here because uh, we are family. Uh, Sidney, I'd like to start with you and then Omer to have you share. Um, I think our community would absolutely love to hear your story, your faith journey, and essentially how you became a Christian, which includes a little bit of your upbringing and background. So, Siddhi, you want to start, and then we'll move on to Omer? Absolutely, Kevin. Uh, Very excited to be here with the two of you today. So, I I grew up in a culturally Hindu family, and what I mean by that is that we really didn't take uh, our religion very seriously when it came to traditions uh, and rituals and festivals, uh, but we did from the perspective of being um, present when it was a communal thing, right? So we would go to Diwali parties and holy parties and go to the temple maybe once or twice a year, uh, mostly when my grandparents asked my parents why they weren't doing a good job uh, raising us as good religious Hindu kids. And so my grandparents on both sides were very devoutly Uh, Hindu to the point where before I could even speak English fluently, uh, I could recite and had memorized uh, a lot of Hindu prayers in Sanskrit, Hmm. right? And so I'd say between the ages of like seven and 17, uh, my uh, relationship with religion evolved from being mildly curious to indifferent uh, to when I was in my senior year of high school getting into a debate with my friend at the time about which one of our high school yearbook quotes would get to be religion is the opioid of the masses from (laughs) Karl Marx. And thankfully he won that argument to save my future self a lot of embarrassment. But um, it wasn't really until say fast forward five or six years later um, at a moment in time where I was out of school and working and sort of experiencing this profound like loss of purpose and identity and what am I doing in the world and what am I supposed to be using my gifts and talents for in service of others where I was introduced to a local Baha'i community. Mm. And for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, the Baha'i faith, it's uh, uh, one of the newest and fastest growing world religions. It originated in Persia in uh, the 19th century. And uh, one of the core tenets of the Baha'i faith is this idea of progressive revelation. And the reason I want to touch on this is because it is being a Baha'i and working through what that meant that eventually led me to Jesus and um, allowed me to become a Christian. So progressive revelation, um, as the Baha'is believe, is this idea that throughout the course of human history, God has sent different prophets and messengers to different groups of people um, who are all really messengers of the same God, right? So Baha'is believe that uh, Krishna, Moses, uh, the Buddha, 
Zoroaster, uh, Jesus, Muhammad, um, and uh, their prophet, Baha'u'llah, were all um, manifestations of the same God coming to earth at different moments in time um, to give humanity uh, really important messages and lessons that they needed. And it was the idea of progressive revelation that I just struggled to wrap my head around, right? I was like, how could it be that all of these uh, prophets and messengers of God who often have very different things to say could really be from the same God? Hmm. And that sort of led me on this multi-year journey of like cracking open texts that I had really only heard of in passing before. Um, And it was then that I encountered the Jesus of the gospels, who to me was the truest most stunning, most beautiful representation of uh, what I believed God was. Um, so I became a Christian about three years ago, and it's been a beautiful journey ever since. That, that's incredible. Through the Baha'i faith, or at least the tenets or the principles or the philosophies of the Baha'i faith. You would had some familiarity with the Bible before, um, but it was only after that uh, moment where you're actually now reading it to actually read it. Is that a fair... Yeah. So I actually, I mean, I hadn't read anything in the Bible before, Mm. maybe like three, three and a half years ago. Right. Um, And I didn't even read the entire Bible. I read the Gospels and believed the Jesus story to be true. Mm. And then that opened up the rest of that universe for me. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Omer, please share. I I know some of our people might be slightly familiar because you've shared a little bit before, but I know we have a lot of new people as well. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I I know I've shared... uh, facets of it uh, uh, here and there over time. And really, um, you know, there are lots of different ways of telling that story. Um, What I appreciate about the way Sydney framed hers was that it tries to take stock of um, a related question that people often have to the question of why are some people different religions, which is, you know, it's like, it's um, wrapping our minds around the fact that so much of what religion you are it depends on factors that were put in place long before you were born, and uh, you know that's that's true in everybody's case. That's that's true in my case as well. And uh, I am a Pakistani American uh, person, and I grew up in a Muslim household uh, in the Chicago area. And uh, if that's all one knew about me, one could reasonably predict that that I would still you know, be a, a Muslim today in some sense. And um, that, that's, that's true for not just Muslims, right, but of, of uh, people of any faiths, especially when there is such a, a cultural or ethnic tie to, to, to one's faith that, uh, the, you know, those connections tend to endure. Um, for, for me, though, like from the time I was very little, uh, as, as early as I could understand my identity as a Muslim, I would have said that I was, I was a Muslim because I believed it was true. And that's like the, the, uh, this attitude or approach to life that I have of just wanting to pursue the truth, always wanting to, to, to know what is out there and to learn more and to grow and be challenged. That is something that affects every facet of my life, including my faith, but also my career. I'm a social scientist by training. And, um, and so my, my faith journey over time was that, uh, that, you know, I continued to be a Muslim because I believed that it was true and beautiful and right uh, and just. And that's not always why uh, many of my friends were Muslim. 
as as I'm sure that that you all have experienced for people regardless of their their faith. Uh, many people would say that they are the faith that they are, like they're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or or uh, any number of faiths, because uh, because that's um, the faith that was handed to them, or because they belong to a certain ethnicity. And uh, and I remember always thinking like, uh, yeah, I mean that like if if I am Pakistani American, does that mean I have to be a Muslim like forever? Is that is that how it works? And uh, it was during my time in high school that uh, I had a friend who was was very much willing to talk with me about both uh, Islam and Christianity. He and I were both really interested in the historical Jesus and um, like a, a key area of, of overlap um, in in both Islamic and Christian traditions is the, the role that Jesus plays, but there are like significant differences. And so a lot of our discussions would revolve around that. And it was in, in those conversations and because of those conversations that I began to, um, to, to reevaluate what I thought about Jesus and what we can know about Jesus. And uh, ultimately, the it, during my time in high school, when I was 17 years old, that resulted in me leaving the Muslim faith to become a follower of Jesus. And uh, that was half my life ago. Uh, and I have been a, a, a Christian since then. Um, and, you know, there are many aspects of that story. If you're just basing it on like things that you would predict that make a lot of sense that I was a Muslim like growing up or that I was born in a country that uh, increased the odds that I would be exposed to Christianity. Uh, but the, the thing that is extremely unusual in the arc of my story is that I actually am not uh, a Muslim anymore, just statistically speaking, that that's relatively unlikely. Mm, yeah. uh, both of you, I mean, these stories are incredible to me. Um, so let's uh, get to the actual question, since you guys have this uh, incredible faith background. Let's let's answer and address the question, Omer, you started already. Why are some people different religions? So you started talking about family and background. So let's, let's dig into that. And again, we're trying to um, provide an answer that is a helpful handhold for somebody who's, you know, older in life, but also a six-year-old, because I actually would love to hear uh, you specifically, Omer, talk about how are you going to talk to your kids about this as well? Like, what kind of language would you use? Um, but then we're going to turn the conversation a little bit towards um, what there there are some implications to that truth claims, uh, conversion. Um, what's a Christian's responsibility with those people of other religions too? I think some of those are the uh, implications there. So why don't we start with that question then? Let's just ask very simply. So, why are some people different religions? Siddhi, you want to start? And For sure. So, I think that there are, like, many, uh, like, sociological and biological and historical lenses we could use to answer this question. But in the spirit of our series, I think that when a five-year-old asks, why are people different religions, and Pastor Omer covered this, um, it's because different people are born to different families um, and different communities that value very different things, right? And even being born to different families, there are other moderating factors that impact what happens after that, right? Like the kind of education that you have access to, um, the kinds of mentors and friends and influences that surround you, whether or not you actually have the privilege or the freedom to be able to explore anything beyond uh, the religion that you were born into, which we know in many places is very difficult. Um, I often think of my great grandmother who grew up in uh, 
a rural Hindu conservative village in Kerala, which is a state in South India. And she never went to school. Uh, she got married when she was 11 years old. She had her first kid when she was 16. And it wasn't actually until she was 70 years old uh, that she moved to Washington, D.C. with my grandpa and was ever even exposed to any kind of religious wow. worldview beyond her own, right? And that was predominantly through Jeopardy and the Wheel of Fortune, which were like the her introductions to uh, American game show culture. Yeah. Um, but I think about her and I'm like, you know, there would have been no means, even if she had had the desire to explore something else, uh, for that to happen, nor would it have been a question that she was even asking herself, right? In terms of, hey, are there other religions out there? Yeah. So. Yeah, Omer. Yeah, um, uh, totally. And it's it's funny because I would uh, think about it very social scientifically, uh, as Cindy was saying. That's one way one could go with answering the question. And this is honestly, this is the kind of question that like our kids have literally asked. And I think that it was a while ago where where um, my six year old asked um, asked this question in such a way to like basically trying to to understand how is it that maybe lots of people could see the same kinds of evidence or read the mm. same things and come to very different conclusions about something so important and significant as God. And so so for us, a lot of the answer uh, revolves around just acknowledging how it is that in general, we all come to believe the things that we believe about all kinds of things that are important and acknowledging that not everybody uh, understands uh, or interprets facts the same way. Not, like like Sidney was saying, we have different values and we are taught different things from the day we are born that affect how we're gonna to look at things. And that um, we all have biases, right? So like the way I would talk with our kids about it is that we all have ways that we, we kinda, you know, like we uh, prefer thinking in certain ways uh, than others. Sometimes we just make mistakes in how we're thinking and it's hard for us to even know we've made a mistake in how we're thinking. And we arrive at different conclusions on all kinds of things. Because we always, we also put it in context too, religion is one area in which people have all kinds of different beliefs, but so is politics and uh, and art and philosophy <laughs> and, and everything like that. And um, and so that's like, that's kind of where we, we um, like, start like or frame that that discussion and um we point out too to our kids that you know we ex we explain why we believe that you know jesus is the way and why why that's right but we acknowledge that not everybody feels that way not everybody thinks the same way and that it's all part of a conversation uh and that um, you know there are other things too that that we could get into that are broader and a little more complicated for for the six-year-old level but pointing out that you know we have this idea of like a free market of ideas and i think kids even think that too which is like if you just if you just say the right thing and give the right argument surely people will change their minds and that's just not true the human mind doesn't work that way but it's also not true that just because you were X, Y, and Z when you were born, or your parents believed X, Y, and Z, then that means you, it's inevitable that you will believe that growing up. You know, pe people change and uh, life is uh, complicated that way. Yeah, so, okay, so here's, we'll get into some of the, the nitty gritty of it. In fact, uh, maybe we could, um, let's see if I can do this. Throw up Pamela's, oh, it's amazing software. How do you, would you, 
have conversations with persons of your originating religion about your choice and life in Christ today. I think um, some of what I wrestle with, I think many of our sparkers are wrestling with, is that there is a strong impulse within kind of American pluralistic culture to say, well, aren't all religions equal and all religions true, all all religions valuable? Um, And we want to make sure that that kind of um, respect is given to those other religions. But Omer, I mean, one of your, uh, the characteristics of your your journey is that, but there's a truth claim here that I'm actually following. So let's tease out some of that, because I think that that's where some of this tension might rub when when you hear about other people of different religions. I think some of us can be comfortable with the idea that, well, of course, you know, people are raised in different places, et cetera. Um, and that's okay. And let's, let's respect one another right. and let's love one yeah. another and let's, but there seems to be a little bit more here. So I'm not quite sure Sidi or Omer wants to tackle Pamela's question. Cause like, yeah, how would you begin to have those yeah. conversations? I can kick off and try to answer your question, Kevin, first, which I hope hopefully will address Pamela's question as well. But I think that when we talk about truth, right, it's important to understand whether or not we're talking about the same kind of truth that other people are talking about. Um, and I, a couple weeks ago in uh, my What is the Bible sermon, I used this framework that I found really helpful in these conversations, which is truth as fact, truth as meaning, and truth as wisdom. Which if anybody's watching missed Sidley's sermon, make sure you go back and, and catch it. It was fantastic, yeah. So when it comes to those latter two categories of truth, right, um, meaning and wisdom, I think that we can find meaning and wisdom in many world religions. And in fact, to this day, I find a huge amount of meaning and wisdom both in um, the Hindu texts as well as in the Baha'i writings, right? So I don't think that there's any one religion that has a monopoly over any other religion and being able to provide truth at that level. I think where things get more complex uh, to some of what Omer was talking about is that first category of truth, which is truth as fact, right? So if I didn't believe um, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus were factually true, then I wouldn't be a Christian. But I think what's important is uh, for me to understand whether or not uh, factual truth is important to everybody, right? So when I look at Hinduism and uh, the faith tradition that I grew up in, um, the idea of factual truth is almost a category error, right? So never once growing up with devoutly Hindu grandparents and extended family, uh, did we ever talk about or reference or debate the historical Krishna so whether Krishna existed in time, space or not, um, really has no bearing mm-hmm. on my family's ability to find their faith truthful, um, because for them, they really do derive meaning at those other two levels, right? Meaning and wisdom. And they can take that meaning and wisdom away from really great Hindu mythology and texts without really caring about whether Krishna existed in human time, space or not. Yeah. I think that gets more complicated when it comes to Uh, certain religions that have like a deep um, vested interest in factual truth, right? So if Jesus is factually who he said he was, um, then what does that mean for Muhammad and Islam? And if the prophet Muhammad is factually who he said he was, what does that mean for Jesus? And I'm sure that Omer has like tons of thoughts on on, on that particular dynamic and how to to traverse it. But I think I'll just sum this part up by saying that uh, when we're talking about truth, Number one, it's probably useful to um, 
uh, ask ourselves whether we are talking about the same kind of truth that people of other faith traditions are talking about, and two, whether everybody even cares about the same kind of truth, because I don't think that everyone does. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's unique to, Omer, your story, because it's not just unique to you as a Muslim, it's unique to you as a human being <laughs> to say, wait, actually, right. I, I'm going to I'm gonna start following the truth and start, uh, you right. know, really thinking and analyzing down that particular path, you know. Yeah, that's right. And, and because, like, that's the reason I'm in the Jesus game, when I do talk to people of different faiths, including Muslims, it does, like, the conversation does focus uh, on that, uh, on that dynamic in particular. And, um, but, but I mean, everything Siddhi said, I think stands, I would put it, I, like, I would say that I approach my conversations that way as well. Um, one of the things too, to, to, you know, to, to point out in addressing a question like that or talking about interfaith dialogue, especially in America, is it comes with all kinds of baggage and I like to try to get the baggage just out on the table first in a lot of those interfaith discussions. So, for example, I think when, when I talk to a lot of Muslims uh, about the fact that I'm not a Muslim anymore, which that alone, I think, usually eats up several minutes of, uh, or opening minutes of the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Many of them have, have never met anyone uh, in that situation. Um, you know, like I, I understand that for for many many Muslims, or at least the you know the ones in my family, the ones who knew me, what they worried about was that me being a Christian meant, or me becoming a Christian meant that I had rejected, for example, my Pakistani heritage, or that I wanted to be white, or that I loved mm. America, mm. and that that's why I was doing all of those things. And again, it's to Sidney's point where truth is interconnected with so many things. It's not something that just exists in the abstract. And so a lot of it, um, a, a lot of dialogue with that comes down to like, you know, starting with what we all agree we all have in common. And in, in a lot of those cases, it's me affirming that there is uh, there's absolutely nothing I hate or dislike about being Pakistani. I love that. Um, people who know me know that uh, I, or if you've heard me at, at Spark, uh, I, I, I uh, have lots of criticisms about whiteness uh, <laughs> in America. Really? So, you know, like, what, <laughs> what, once we can you know, level set on those things, it, it does stay on a very simple level, though. I think like with these interfaith dialogues, if, if two people are trying to get to like, what is the core of our our disagreement or the core of what's different between us? I do tend to focus the discussion on, well, like I believe that, you know, that Christianity or the Gospels or the Bible make unique claims about Jesus ones that uh, sometimes are similar to claims that other religions make about Jesus, but some claims that are mutually exclusive from other faiths. And I would say, you know, that's that's what it was for me. We can talk about that. Like we can talk about what, what we think about Jesus, what the what the Quran or Islamic tradition has said about Jesus and, and how we square that. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like some of the conversations are, I mean, they, they can get defensive because it is an identity issue, right? What you believe about your the worldview that you hold um, is intricately tied to how you see yourself. And so... Yeah, it, yeah I was just going to say that. I, so I remember being told early in my conversion to exactly that point that like, like I was told, you, you think you've learned some truth that billions of people all over the world, <laughs> including all of your ancestors, never knew 
that you have uncovered. And like that, that's kind of the stakes, yeah. especially when you throw around, like, I mean, I believe in Jesus because it's true. They're like, like, what do you think you've learned that's so special? And, mm -hmm. and I understand where that's coming from. It's tied to so many things. Yeah. Yeah. That's an audacious, uh, that's an audacious claim. Um, you just used a word that I think is also a little bit touchy, which is the word conversion. So, um, would you both say that you have converted or would you use different terms for that? Or how would you describe that? And, um, you know, what, what is an appropriate term for essentially what happens when people become Christians? And then we'll get into the next step, which is what should Christians be doing in the world, in a pluralistic world based upon Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, which we'll get to. But first, how would you use the word or would you use the word convert? Because I think for some of us, that's still a difficult, that goes back to the previous sentiment, which is, well, we're, we want to be sensitive and respectful of other, other people's right. religions. Yeah. So I think, Kevin, if you had asked me this question three and a half years ago, I would have said no, right? Because um, between the time when I was a Baha'i um, and when I became a Christian, I didn't really belong to any particular religion. So it was like converting from what, like, I wasn't exchanging one religion for Another, it was more just that I was seeking and that this felt like the most true thing. But I think after reflecting on it for, for a couple of years, if you asked me now, and I know that that term is loaded and comes with a lot of baggage, I do think that conversion is an accurate word to mm. describe not the exchange of one religion for another, but the exchange of one worldview and way of being mm. for another, right? Mm. I think that um, since I've encountered the person of Jesus, it really has been a 180 degree reorientation of everything, right? Mm. Like the way I view the world, uh, the way I see my place in it, the things that I hope to accomplish with my life in the context of the Jesus story. And so I think that, um, you know, and again, I don't, I, I haven't grown up with the baggage of the word convert either. So it's easier for me to, to use it. But I actually think that now I would, I think it's an apt word to describe the, the transformation that I felt. Nice, yeah. Yeah, I and I also. I mean, I I tend to not have baggage about words. I I'm I lean towards the, uh, you know, reappropriate toxic words <laughs> kind of kind of approach. Um, and so yeah, like I I would be co comfortable describing what I went through as a conversion very much for the the reasons that Sidney said. For me, it was like a it was like a a whole reframing of my my understanding of the world, my understanding of my place in the world, um, and, and all of that. That is a, a Bible word for it uh, as well. So I, I'm, you know, for, for that reason, like it, you know, we think of the way New Testament writers talk about conversion, it's like a change of allegiance. Uh, and that is how I would describe what I went through. Mm. I think too, I, Kevin, I'm curious, since you, you know, you would come from a background where one could argue, you know, however you, you, you had been taught about Jesus from when you were little, would, would you describe you, like your how you've arrived at your current faith as a conversion. How do you think about that? I think I have, a, as you probably already know, I have a greater hesitancy to the terminological baggage than you do. So I've been much more hesitant with the terms that I use, just because I I think I I, I find myself sitting in these places that's uh, that's complicated, and I'm. I think I'm maybe hypersensitive. I might have swung the pendulum the other way, and I don't want to use terms that are going to be, you know, misappropriated uh, or or give off a, a wrong impression. Um, but I mean, just listening to you to now say 
what you said about the word conversion. I think it is. It is, number one, it is a biblical term. It's used to describe people and a behavioral change, a change. Uh, you know, there's there's repent, which is a change of mind to shift from, you know, one way of life to another way of life regarding sin and morality. But there is another word for the word proselyte, uh, which means you are changing the very core convictions of your heart and things have changed. And I would say, yeah, I mean, you're alluding to, you know, my evangelical upbringing and, and transformation, which... Hey, hey, I'm not on the I'm not on the hot seat today, so I'm not. I can nod. Um, but I I if I had to sum it up just based in the context of this conversation, I do feel like what has happened to me is I have converted again to use the term in this context from an American version of Christian religion to a real genuine conviction about the person and the life of Jesus. And that conversion has been pretty significant. I've, um, I mean, we've talked very openly before, jettisoning some of the, the old things. I, I think I joked before that I, I grew up in a, in a religion, uh, religious context where women were clearly not leaders in the context of church and in the home. And then I met this blonde girl in college and she said, I don't think I can marry you if that's the case. And I said, I think I'm going to look into this, <laughs> you know. Um, that's right. We all have our reasons right. for challenging our priors. Yeah. So um, it was, it was, I, I resonate so much with both of your stories in the sense of pursuing something. It wasn't a, a hatred of, it was just the constant wanting to know and pursuing of greater truth and a greater understanding of the of the world. So I find myself very much affectionate towards all of that, which kind of leads us to, I'm going to throw this up here. Um, oh, shoot, where did I lose it? Rajesh's uh, question, which uh, Stacy one-upped, uh, what is your framework for evangelism? Because like what we're talking about now is a conversion for us personally, but we are converted to a faith in Jesus who gives us this great commission, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, etc., teaching them to uh, obey everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. So that has been seen, again, within American evangelical religious culture as evangelism, which has led to tracts and has led to the sinner's prayer, has led to all sorts of focus on personal salvation to asking Rajesh's question directly, what is your framework for evangelism based upon your experience and understanding and your understanding of Jesus's teachings there in, in Matthew 28? Yeah. So I'm going to first preface by saying that Pastor Marcus is going to cover this exact question right. in uh, a couple weeks in a whole sermon. So I'm going to like kind of cheat and reframe your question a little bit, Kevin, and then Omer can great. not cheat and actually answer your question. So I <laughs> think that great. I would reframe it in terms of um, how uh, do we treat people of other religions, right? And I think um, there's a great quote from the Catholic priest and theologian, uh, James Allison, and he says, give people a common enemy and you give them a common identity. Mm. Deprive them of a common enemy and you deprive them of the crutch by which they know themselves. Mm. And I know that many of us, um, even if not you, even if not you or me, probably know of people or communities where it often feels like the stronger my Christian identity, 
the stronger my hostility or opposition to other religions. Mm. And I think that it's a problem um, when we uh, identify ourselves through who we oppose, right? That comes at a high cost to us, a high cost to others, and uh, to a very high cost to the work of God. And I often think to our own biblical narrative in Christian history, and throughout it, there are so many examples of us versus them, mm -hmm. right? There's us against them, us using them, us oppressing them, us in spite of them, us apart from them everywhere. And I think that the thing that is uh, stunning about that is that it is so counter all of these models of othering to what God was doing from the very beginning of our biblical narrative with Abraham, right? God's call to Abraham wasn't for the sake of excluding others or resenting others, judging others, isolating from others, or at the expense of others. His call to Abraham was literally for the sake of mm. others, right? It's and beautiful. all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so when I think about this question, that to me is what stands out the most, right? And we can see throughout our Bible in Jesus's ministry and what Paul and the apostles did throughout the New Testament, um, actions of what it actually means to uh, be God's people in a world that is torn by hostility. Yeah. And so uh, uh, just one more quote, and then I'll hand it off to Omer. Um, uh, Brian McLaren, he wrote this awesome book that all of you should check out. It's called uh, When Jesus, uh, the Buddha, and Muhammad Crossed the Road. And it's a book about um, interfaith dialogue. And uh, he says uh, that after 9-11, he had an interaction with an atheist who told him that in a pluralistic world, uh, a religion is judged by the benefit that it brings to its non-members. Mm. And I found that to be uh, very deeply fantastic. Um, and so the thought starter I have to spark is, what does it look like for us as Christians, um, yes, even to people of other faiths, uh, to be for um, our multi-faith community what Jesus was to Israel, right? Because it's not just that God loves us, God loves other people too. Beautiful. Omer? Amen. Yeah, I, uh, I, I affirm all of that. I, I would add too that um, and Sidney alluded to this, that uh, that conversation or a framework of evangelism is often entirely fraught with the um, uh, I need to save you from hell uh, or uh, or I have failed and you have failed. And so that the framework is often that if you do not come to believe what I believe, um, you are you are at fault for it and you will be punished uh, eternally for it. I think we've discussed many aspects of that um, at Spark uh, over time. And I would say too that um, the like a, several weeks ago from Pastor Danielle's message on like on like, um, you know, where do I go when I die or like what is heaven like? I think that also like it does a great job of touching on when we say what's your framework for evangelism, we're often just immediately thinking about heaven and hell that like that's it. And if you removed that from the table entirely, I think that all of those kinds of conversations can be far more productive and way less, um, you know, way less the kind of conversation where everyone is immediately defensive. And what I would yeah. say too is that um, I, I would also though challenge our audience to avoid a kind of approach where to say uh, you have no framework for evangelism or it's that every belief is equally valid and, and that's okay. Because what I would ask you to think about is the fact that I'm sure somewhere in your life there are aspects, things that you you truly believe, you believe to be true, that you wished everyone else also believed to be true. 
And that could be for a variety of reasons. You could believe it's because people's lives are at stake, because it's just or beautiful or true or right, because it's factually accurate. You can think through the consequences of what happens when, when we don't all come to an agreement about this very important thing. And yet, you don't go around threatening people with hell for not agreeing with you on those things. We all manage those kinds of tensions in our lives for a variety of things. And this would be true. This is just another aspect of life where that is true. We're all, whether it's science or philosophy or religion, we're all trying to make sense of the world. And we're all going to come to mutually exclusive beliefs uh, on all of those things. But we have to have ways of constructively dialoguing with each other. And there's, there's nothing wrong with believing or wishing that other people shared your belief about this thing that you believe to be true and beautiful and right and just and, you know, and the way forward for humanity. We all feel that way and we can all bring that up in conversation. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going to bring in a couple questions. We are coming to the uh, the end of our time. There's a couple really good questions here. And then I would like to ask you to to close our teaching time with answering. This was not in the prepared notes. So why Jesus in one quick summary? So you can prepare your minds for that. But uh, Nicole uh, asked this question, which I think is really fantastic. Thank you for affirming the concept of conversion. I wonder what you think about using the word repentance, that turning away for uh, turning away for good from what is wrong to what is right. Go for it, Omer, if you have. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that the way I understand, for example, if you can, if you can think of um, a very uh, famous line in the early in the book of Acts. So after um, the apostle Peter has preached the, the good news to a, a very large audience, um, the audience has come to believe in Jesus and they ask, what must we do to be saved? Uh, and Peter replies, repent and be baptized. I, I take that to mean this, what I was describing earlier as a change of allegiance. Like that, that is what was being asked of the audience. And that manifests itself in what we, you know, we call repentance, turning from you know, where you were forward and in baptism and like committing yourself to the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. So that, that's where I would say those two are connected. But to me, it's it's all under the the umbrella of what we would say, like pledging allegiance to Jesus yeah. and pledge allegiance, I think, is a phrase that in our culture we understand, like we get what we mean when we say that. You know, it's so funny. I've heard you say that a couple of times and it was uh, it just kind of struck me that we are to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America all the time yeah. and how essentially non Jesus like that yes. is <laughs> exactly when you understand yeah. what like repent and be baptized means it like it causes it causes like a visceral reaction when you have to pledge allegiance to anything else let alone yeah. you know the most powerful empire in modern history yeah. uh Cindy, i'm just going to jump to the next question just because of time that so uh, patty asks i love this question are there sacred beliefs words or sayings from your faiths of birth that have enriched your understanding of jesus and his life teachings yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I grew up uh, on Hindu mythology, right? That was my first foray into understanding the world, but it was also my first foray into storytelling. And I think um, mm. as I've spoken at Spark before yes. about how uh, my love for storytelling um, and my path as a storyteller is one of the things that was deeply compelling to me when I encountered uh, the Bible for the first time and when I encountered the person of Jesus. So I think uh, for me, Patty, it is the power of story to help uh, provoke uh, 
uh, to help teach and to help transform, right, in beautiful, stunning, visceral ways. That's something that I took from my grandma and my great-grandma sitting at the table with me when I was two and three years old, telling me um, stories that really changed my worldview and the way that I thought about myself. And so I think I carry that lens into uh, my understanding of the Bible today, where it's always like, well, how do I like, how do I make sense of this craziness happening in front of me from the context of narrative yeah. and the context of story? And so that I think is the key thing that I've held on to from the very beginning. That's uh, brilliant and beautiful. Uh, Omer, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, there are definitely many things from from my Muslim uh, heritage uh, that that I have retained or that that have an enduring impact on me. One of the biggest things is that uh, I love that from the day that I was born, I was taught about Jesus uh, as a non-white person, like as a Palestinian Jew who lived in the first century. Like it was very easy, like my my parents and my community was very quick to point out anytime you saw like a white or Western depiction of Jesus say, just remember, that's not really him. That's something that America has constructed about him and blah, 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 and European civilization. And I love that. I've, in, I've, I've retained that kind of critical eye towards how we construct Jesus in ways that Jesus historically never would have been. And I would also say, too, that there, there were many ritual practices that I really got into that once, once you enter, especially the, you could say, like, especially the Protestant world, you you kind of leave a lot of like you know like um, daily prayers and um, appointed times for fasting like you you know I I that was something that is not encouraged very much in a lot of the types of Protestant churches that many Sparkers uh, operate in um, but but you know in uh, a, a lot of Muslims fast for the month of Ramadan they do the five daily prayers those were always very meaningful to me. And um, like being able to have kind of ritual practices, I think I, I you know, I'm beginning to reappreciate mm. um, again yeah. later in life. Okay, thirty seconds to both of you. Why Jesus? Just uh, I like to sew up conversations with some handholds that we can give to our folks. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, Petra, I'm so sorry. We just don't have time for your question. Monica, thank you for your comments. Uh, Nicole, Pastor Danielle, of course, thank you so much for uh, interacting. We so appreciate it. Um, don't forget, we'll have our Wednesday night. So 30 seconds. Why Jesus? Uh, Sidney, and then Omer, and then we'll move to communion. Sure. Um, for me, Kevin, it's because Jesus is true at all three of those levels, right, mm. that I talked about earlier. Jesus is true as fact. Uh, Jesus is true as meaning, and Jesus is true as wisdom. And being a follower of Jesus as told by Jesus uh, does not mean um, accepting that at the expense of others, but it is uh, radically transforming yourself to be in service of others. And I think to this day, like, like in moments where my faith feels challenged or days where I'm like, hey, that doesn't make sense or something isn't resonating, the through line of uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus means then and now to the world and the power that that has to transform all of us in service of something just absolutely stunning and compelling and transformational in the world is something that no one has quite matched up to yet. So that's why Jesus for me. Amazing. Top that, Omer. <laughs> yeah, no, that, was, that was wonderful. Um, I would say too that um, I would affirm that all truth is God's truth. And that Christianity does not have a monopoly on truth, right? We can learn things from, from a variety of sources. Nevertheless, 
to me, all truth is God's truth, but Jesus is the truest representation of what's real in the world. And uh, there are many sources of beauty in the world. There are many things that are beautiful in the world, but to me, Jesus is the most beautiful thing that I have ever encountered. Mm. There are many uh, moral truths out there. There are many claims about what is right and what is good, but to me, Jesus is the fullest representation of what is good and right in the world. And to me, that is the kind of truth that is worth giving up everything else for Mm. and that is worth risking everything for. Oh my goodness. Um, I think I speak for our entire community when I say we are so tremendously grateful and thankful to the two of you for sharing your stories, for being a part of our leadership team, for gracing us with your presence, uh, you and your families. Um, thank you so much for sharing in today. You guys are awesome and amazing. And uh, yeah, I, if anybody is new or visiting Spark and you just joined in the conversation, it's very, very clear who we are after this conversation. Uh, we are just simply trying to inspire people to live this way, to fall in love, to embrace the truth of this Jesus that we've been talking about. We're going to move to communion uh, now. And uh, this is the time in our service when we share in the sacrament that remembers this very Jesus. And one of the most distinctive events in Jesus's life and ministry, the culmination, the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have your elements, I invite you to take them now as we recite the words of institution. For in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. To all of you sparkers, thank you for being here, the body and the blood of Christ which is shed and broken for all of you.